I was there and I, I have a story about Odell on the field that I could have released and footage, but I didn't. It didn't make sense to. I mean, the whole world is already, you know, throwing eggs at them. What's the difference of my one egg? Oh, you know, I don't, I just never want to be that guy. Right. But, you know, but that's the, that's the difference of, of the narrative. Like, I, I, I want to help the players be able to control the narrative. Okay, maybe Odell had a few too many drinks. Mm-hmm. Everybody has had a few too many drinks. <laughs> you know, that's not a story. The story is LSU just went undefeated and won a national championship. That's the story. You know, like, that's, that's how I just felt about it. You always hear me talk about the group chats. You always hear me talk about the importance of the National Association of Black Journalism. Well, today's guest is somebody who I met through both. Prior to NABJ 19 build in the town of Miami, Florida, I met Norman Locke on our Black Journalists Everywhere group chat. Now, the first time I would see him in person when I was simply walking through Aventura Mall and he was walking through the mall it's like hey man you look familiar whatever whatever you know you look at the name badges or you realize oh from the group chat fortunately I was able to build a good relationship with him via social media keeping up in contact with his radio show and today he comes on breaking through glass ceilings to share his story so ladies and gentlemen get ready for Norman Locke all right, ladies and gentlemen, this week I welcome in a good brother. You should be locked in when you listen to him. And that's the one and only Norman Locke. What's up, bro? How you feeling? I'm doing good, man. How you doing today? Man, I'm good, man. Blessed indeed. Um, you know, as this airs on Father's Day, I gotta say happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. Um, you know. There's always the talk about absentee fathers, but as a father myself, it's not an easy job. Uh, And happy Father's Day to the uncles and cousins and brothers stepping in as fathers as well. Um, Man, how you doing? I know you're not a father yet, but you know, I'm going to definitely give respect to you because I see, you know, how much, how um, important your nephew is to you. So shout out to you as well, bro. Yeah, uh, I'm not a father quite yet. Uh, I do want kids in the future, though, and uh, it take it takes a village, you know. Um, that's my that's my only uh, nephew or niece that I have. Um, so I, I I give him a lot of mentorship that you know just to show him what can and can't happen if you put your mind to it. Yeah, that's important. And, you know, he definitely has a great person to look up to. Um, and so, you know, we're going to definitely talk about uh, your career here today on Breaking Through Glass Ceilings. Um, let's start off with college, man. I know you went to University of Louisiana at Lafayette. When did you decide that broadcast journalism was for you? My route to broadcast journalism was uh, a little different. Now, I have a, a uncle who is also a sportscaster, and he did his four years at UL and did sports broadcasting. But when I got to UL, I actually was a biology major. 
Okay. I wanted to be a marine biologist. I don't know why, <laughs> but I, that's just something I wanted to do. And after about three years of biology, uh, I figured out it wasn't for me. Uh, I figured out marine biology doesn't pay that well unless you like a super scientist also. Um, so I switched up to broadcasting and switching to broadcasting, I'm going to say I had the guidance of uh, amazing advisors who put me in like um, speech coaching classes on camera, uh, coaching classes. They put me in a bunch of public speaking classes. Like they put me in a bunch of learning S classes before even throwing me straight into the hardcore journalism classes. And I, I definitely appreciate them kind of bird feeding me into broadcasting rather than just throwing me into it. Okay. Did you get to do any cool projects while you were there? Yeah, I did a commercial for Canes. <laughs> we, we had to do a radio 30 second spot for Canes. Um, and also we had to do uh, a parody sportscast. We had to do a 30 seconds parody sportscast also. So that was that was pretty cool. Now, how did that prepare you for where you wanted to go, especially during a parody sportscast? Because you could have more fun with it, but you still got to make sure it's accurate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we did a bunch of hardcore stuff also. Um, I'm going to say UL kind of gave you the opportunity to choose kind of your track. And I, ch I chose radio more so than television. Um, so I kind of took the higher courses of radio production and radio broadcast journalism. Um, so TV, you know, it's, it's, it's more serious. I mean, you have more freedom in radio, but you get paid more in television. You know, it's, it's, it's a gift and a curse, but I just like the creativity and the free creative thoughtness of being able to be on the radio. That's true. Now, you, so that's where it kind of like led you towards it, right? Um, you mentioned you know, having an uncle in the business. Uh, how much, like, when did you start? Obviously, you said you didn't start off as a, a broadcast major. You started in biology. How did he feel when you told him that you were transitioning? And did you, uh, what are some of the things he taught you? Um. When I first told him, he was excited. Uh, he offered up uh, advice, um, you know, speaking, books to read, um, different gifts, different gifts, uh, I'm going to say, and ideas of the trade. He used to Skype with me and practice with me um, on camera. Uh, he bought me my first suit. Um, he did a lot for me, especially in the broadcast realm, because he also was a student videographer for the school, for the football team, uh, his senior year. And he connected me with his director. And that's how I was able to get an opportunity to be a student videographer for the football team for UL. Now, um, 
while you were a student, like while you was doing the video stuff, did you fall in love with the production side or you still like you liked it, but you wanted to be behind the mic? I liked it, but I wanted to be behind the mic. It's just because at all the best times I was stuck behind the camera and it's just it didn't incite me as much as being on the field. Uh, so I was uh, the student videographer from 2014 to 2017. And we went to three bowl games and we won one of those three uh, in New Orleans, in my hometown. So it was amazing, amazing, amazing experience. But I've always just had that, that notion of wanting to express my ideas uh, I guess through my, you know, my voice and my writing more so than through production of videos. All right, can you talk about what that experience was like being um, at the bowl game and uh, especially during the win? Can you talk about that experience? So we got, it was uh, 2016 uh, in New Orleans, the New Orleans Bowl. And we get in on about Tuesday and you start doing community service. You don't really start practicing until probably about Wednesday, Thursday. So Tuesday when you get in, it's <laughs> you 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 just having fun. I just say that. So you you're free to go, you out of curfew. Um you went visit children's hospital, we did some community service at children's hospital, went to Oxford Hospital. Um, I know some of the coaches went to other different community service projects throughout the week. And then about Wednesday night, you start going over film. And then Thursday, you start getting ready for the game and start practicing. And game day, again, I'm, I'm from New Orleans, Louisiana. So to have it in New Orleans was so real. And we had won previously three other bowls in New Orleans. So it was going to be the fourth time to go consecutively in New Orleans for the championship. And it was electrifying. But, again, I was at the top end zone camera, and it's way up there at the Superdome. Imagine being close to God up there. (laughs) And you're filming way up there. We're winning. Game, game clock hits zero. I take my SD card out and I just jet all the way downstairs immediately to the field. I said, I'll go back up and get the camera made. Wow. I, I love. <laughs> but you know what? Clock hits zero, I love. The, the <laughs> most important thing you did, and I want people to understand that if you're ever in that situation, the most important thing you did was grab the SD card. Grab my SD card and I, and I dip, man. I dip. Like we, we, you, you and I are huge football fans, and uh, me, I'm a fan of your show because I always love how you really um, get a perspective and break things down. And the thing is, you um, had that football awareness that, like they would say, that football IQ. You had that IQ, that cameraman IQ. Grab the SD card. God forbid somebody stole the camera, but at least you had the footage. That's the most important part. In my thoughts, I was like, if somebody was able to get way up here at the top of the Superdome and make it down with the camera before we catch him, he deserved it. (laughs) But Wow. Now, see, that's the thing. So now, was you, were you dealing with, like, big TV cameras or was it just, like, uh camera you could buy at you know best buy or somewhere 
Well, I said it it probably cost maybe a $2,500 camera. Okay. Uh, it's not it's not terribly big. It's made to be mobile because you film and you're using it to film practices, individual drills, routes, stuff like that. So it's, it's made, the lenses are the most important thing on the camera. Mm-hmm. You know that, uh, that's the most expensive piece, but the camera itself is, is very mobile. Okay, yeah. The reason why I ask because uh, I had the uh, pleasure of doing um, this past uh, football season working with uh, our local union here in the uh, Baltimore, D.C. area. And at the end of the day, we have to strike. Uh, for those who do not know what strike means, that means gather all equipment, pack it up. All equipment. Exactly. And, and you talk. I strike before. Yeah, I know, you I know the cables, uh, and, and, and the, the the cables that connect the truck so that everybody can see television. The fiber yeah. optic wires, Ooh. heavy wires. So I ain't been there. I didn't, the worst strike of my life. Uh huh. Was Sugar Bowl in New oh. Orleans? Oh man! Everything gotta everything gotta come up. Mm-hmm. You got the, a six in the morning, and, and I can imagine with that. You had to wait for fans to really clear out because there was still a lot of celebrations, right? Correct. Correct. See, so the the last strike I did, Redskins, Giants, final game in uh, D.C. this year. And it was easy, even though the game went to overtime, which it shouldn't have. um, The strike part was difficult, but it wasn't as hard because we was out there by eight, but partly because it was a lot. It wasn't that many people there. So it was just easy to just kind of, get it going but those cameras you can't lift them by yourself no (laughs) no you you know about it (laughs) no you cannot lift those cameras by yourself it has to be taken apart and then Mm -hmm. you need a dolly then you need a uh if you got a cart bless your soul (laughs) yeah bless your soul because as i've been to some strikes at some stadiums down here and we we not afforded the, the ability to have a cart or even now we had thankfully we had the motor cart too, so we was able to drive all the way up to the fourth uh, level and get the cameras and drive all the way back down, as opposed to having to push it on the actual cart. So, but it, and it was cold that day. I mean, it's December. Uh, the week, the, <laughs> I think it was like the week before Christmas. So you can imagine the weather in Baltimore. I've DC. never heard anything warm about. <laughs> About Baltimore, DC. I ain't heard nothing warm. It, 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 it gets it. It can get hot. It can get. Um, it's a different type of heat than down there. Um, but like during the summertime, and you know, it's sad that we're not uh, having NABJ physically uh, here because then you know maybe we will get the chance to see it a little bit. But it can definitely get hot. But definitely not like uh, the way you guys get. Um, yeah, so that's what, like I said, that's what had me interested. Like when you said uh, having to take the camera. So you got the, uh, you said you had the memory card. Um, now, when you down there, um, you would, like now, what type of footage are you getting? Uh, footage you, um, or are you? Well, see, um, it was a, a six-man crew. It's a, oh. six, it's a six-man crew. So it's, you have two end zone cameras. You have mm-hmm. two sideline cameras, and then you have two people on the ground, plus the, the coordinator, he has his own personal camera also. So it's seven cameras that are operating. And once the game hits zero, I mean, there's no more footage for us for the two end zones and the sideline, and is the game is over. 
So our job is, is basically done. Um, and it's all about the people at the bottom about getting the celebration footage. So we got the green light to go. It's just that when I tell you that clock hits zero, mm -hmm. I left. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> and this is all while you're still in college, right? Just want to make sure. Yeah, this is while we're still in college. And then, uh, you know, thanks to the, the the wonderful department, everybody got a bull ring. I have a bull ring. They gave the entire staff a bull ring. Oh, man, that is awesome. Uh, so after you graduated, um, what was the next move for you? Um, far as inter, well, I should say internships or professionally. Well, my route was kind of crazy. So while I was still in school, uh, I'll say probably my sophomore year in broadcasting, mm -hmm. uh, I went to apply at the ESPN affiliate station in Lafayette for an internship, and didn't hear back from them for about a month. And I started, I kept calling. When I say I kept calling, I, I was calling into shows by accident. <laughs> Asking did they receive my application. And then I'm going to say by, by the second month, I got a call back from the station director saying that, uh, that I had to be a senior in order to, to take the internship course and to get credit for it. But they still was looking for a part-time producer if I wanted to position it, I was available. Uh, he was gonna give it to me. So that's how I actually got my first step into the business. Oh, wow. So now what was your, um, so did you still, like when you worked for the affiliate, did you have to go through the same training or did you have to go to like Bristol for any training or anything? No, we did all the training at the station. Okay. At the station. And um, I, what, I, what I had to do was be a board operator for uh, different people's shows. And then also there were just starting their high school football show, Acadiana Football Fridays. And they needed somebody to run the scores, to update the scores and to run the social media. So I, I said I could do that too. So I was doing a lot of odd jobs necessarily but i wasn't getting on the radio yet i wasn't now, a personality or, or talent per se now how did that um just when you so let's start right there you're doing a lot of behind the scenes work what was some of um perhaps your favorite projects or some even some not so favorite projects during that time well, I'll say the not so favorite is, I don't know. I mean, a lot of people understand with, with they cover and they do high school football and they got to deal with scores. Being in a new city in a different town, you don't really know the schools and you don't know the pronunciations. You know, you don't know the coaches. You don't know the history behind a lot of, of, of the rivalries and everything. And you're going to mess up. And there's a lot of angry people when it comes to the high school football, if the score is wrong or the miss, or is misspelled. So I caught a lot of flack my first football season, just being from New Orleans and I'm, I'm in Lafayette and you know, everything has the Cajun spelling and Cajun accents. Uh, I, I was just a little overwhelmed and, um, I received a lot. Radio is unforgiving. People are calling to let you know, you know, 
Uh, and but it was growing pains that I had to get through. Wow. Yes, I can imagine. Um, you said radio's unforgiving compared to television. I'm assuming TV nowadays we have social media, but radio there was always an opportunity for people to call (laughs) and and tell you how they feel. And you you don't have a caller ID. I don't know what the person on the other opposite on the line is going to say. So Mm -hmm. you know. It can go left really fast. He can introduce himself. Hi, I'm Bob from Minneapolis, and I'm calling in. The, I hate your guts, and then it turns out and it goes left really, really, really quickly. Oh man, you have any uh, particular horror stories that you'll never forget? Uh, the Kaepernick situation, man. Oh, like yeah, like it would. You know, being down south here and in Louisiana, like it, it. It got rough. I had to they I had to stop my show for a week because people just kept calling in with cursing and derogatory messages. And it was just I couldn't even operate because people were blowing up the lines and 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 calling in and sending in hate mail, all kind of stuff. They they tried, they called the GM of the station reported me. It was it was a mess. Now was it because of stuff you were saying or just, and not saying like not coming at you, make sure I word this right. Was it, were, did like, did you initiate it by just talking about it or did people just see, oh, black host, let me give him stuff for doing this? It probably was a little bit of both because I mean, I, I, I am, I was the, the only black talent for sure since I've been there for six years, for sure, for sure. Uh, and a black employee, I'll probably say it's me, a DJ, the secretary, and a janitor. So maybe four out of maybe 50. So, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm for sure not a majority. So I can see how my takes was ill received because, you know, I know what the demographic and their core fan base is in Lafayette, Louisiana. But it definitely when the cap when the Kaepernick situation happened, I'm the only black guy to speak on it. So when I spoke on it, <laughs> yeah, I was the only one who was even able to receive any flack. Wow, man! Now, can you just talk about for um, unfortunately, right now as we record, a gentleman by the name of George Floyd just lost his life, and you know, so that's been trending really heavy in the news. Um, can you just talk about just being a black man and having to, you know, talk about a Kaepernick on a radio um, and stand and essentially stand up for our people? It's, it's, it's always down here, Louisiana and the South. Uh, again, I, I mean, I love my station. And I'm going to say one, my, my boss, my program director is one of the best directors, mentors I could have ever had. He gives me so much freedom to express myself. He has never, ever denied me. He's let me come on his show and express myself and quote unquote, piss people off. He's, he's the best. I couldn't ask for any other program director. Now, with that being said though, the fanship and the township of, of, the, of what we live in down here, it, it doesn't gel is very difficult to really say how you truly feel 
in the masses uh, and on mass media. Um, I can only imagine how a reporter will have to word and tippy-toe and walk the gray line. So I know I can't get just get gun-ho on the radio. I get, I get put off. I mean, it's a sad reality, but it's what we live in, you know. Um, I hate to say it, it's, it's a thin line between your personal beliefs and, I guess, what sells. Yeah, and I think, you know, uh, shout out to you. And I, I can tell you that, you know, I appreciate you doing what you do because it would be easy to take the low road and be like, um, I'm not going to talk about Kaepernick. That's his business. Or, um, you know, or just to play on the safe side. But being willing to speak up, I mean, you're essentially, in a sense, you are making yourself vulnerable. I mean, like, you know, because you never know how people act. You know what I mean? So, Correct. you know, I definitely appreciate you doing that. Um, did you guys have to, just to with Kaepernick for a little bit, just real quick, um, did you guys ever even have to address maybe bringing him to town? Like when Joe Flacco, I think when Flacco got hurt one time. No, it was right before. Uh, he didn't get hurt yet. But, you know, there was the talks of bringing uh, Kaepernick to Baltimore. And, of course, you know, that's when Ray Lewis – said what he said and it all broke loose did you guys ever have to deal with that no not 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 really um i'm gonna say they, uh, kaepernick coming down here really wasn't a thought i think okay. people it's a big down here it's a lot of people in the armed forces and a lot of vets mm-hmm. and it's a it's, it's conservative it's really really conservative down here so I think that was more the the enraging part than anything. I I for sure know they wouldn't have let <laughs> Kaepernick play for the Saints. Yeah, and and you know the word on the street was that he was actually getting ready to be signed to Baltimore, but his um, girlfriend posted the meme of Bashadi and Ray Lewis. Uh, I always thought that he would have been a good fit considering. Um, John Harbaugh, his brother coached him in San Francisco. So I always thought, you know, maybe that was going to happen. But can you talk about your uh, transition? Let's really get into the transition, how you went from uh, behind the scenes to becoming on-air talent for the radio. So that, that every Friday high school football show, Katie and the Football Fridays, I grew the Twitter from start to finish, and the Facebook had – has grown to about 10,000 likes and on Twitter is about 6,000 followers. And we was getting, I, I don't remember the website's information, but we became one of the, the number one high school football shows and I won an AP award. So once we won the AP award, I started talking a little bit more that next season on the radio, I mean, I had a season to learn the high school players. I had a season to learn the towns. I had a season to learn the coaches and how they act and 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 made a rapport with them. And fans started asking for more takes from me, uh, which was crazy. And I started becoming a guest on some of the other – uh, daily shows that was hosted weekly on at my station. 
So who was it that noticed like it's time to put Norman on the radio? Like, do you remember who was the like which one of your producers or did you have to pitch the idea? Like, how did it happen? It was a guy named Ryan uh, Banowitz, and he was the host of the, the Acadiana Football Friday show, and he had his own show that was every day at 6 o'clock weekly. And he was the first person like, hey, this kid's, you know, he knows what he's talking about. And then at the time, Leonard Fournette was tearing up high school football. You know, I went to St. Augustine High School. So I had a, a friend of mine that was linked in high school that I could get interviews with and talk to. Um, also, my former teammate, I played football for St. Augustine, Tyron Matthew. He's tearing it up. Trey Turner's tearing it up for the Panthers. Um, trying to think who else. Um, what is his name? Uh, he, he graduated after me, but we had, I had teammates all over, so I'm able to get content. And he was the first person to notice it, and he also was closest to my age. And he graduated from LSU's uh, School of Manship Broadcasting School. So we kind of was able to connect a little bit. And he gave me my first opportunity. Wow. So you having those connections, um, how has that, would you say, helped you separate yourself from anybody else and other personalities, not just in your town, but just around the world, around the country? Well, I just, I'm a believer of, of things being organic. I think a lot of people force relationships. Like, I've never forced, like, you won't see me keep calling anybody for a, to answer a question or to, or I wouldn't, I, I would address the sensitive subjects, but I'm not going to be the guy who's going to ram home, you know, he, he did this, he did that, he did that. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to take that side of it. Uh, you know, you report the news, but you don't have to add certain connotation that I see that some broadcasters or some reporters do in the narrative of, of certain players. And I think that's just the biggest thing that I, I pitch to some to some of these players that I, I meet and I network with is, you know, I'm controlling the narrative for us, whether as though, you know, the other 50 white people, uh, not white people, but the other 50 reporters that you, that you're talking to might not have the same narrative of growing up in certain situations and feel and understand where you're coming from and, and your verbiage and your language. Cause you know, who's to say the person that grew up, uh, going to the private school in Boston understands the mannerisms of somebody who grew, grew up in Baltimore. Right. <laughs> you, you hit that right on the head. Um, and, and, you know, because that's the thing a lot of times that what I've noticed that, because I think you said it best, you know, putting their own narrative. When you see athletes get upset, I mean, we just saw it with uh, Reggie Bush the other day in the news calling our company saying, that's not what I said. You know, because I think everybody shoots for that hot take that they tend to forget. You know what I mean? Um, have you ever had a chance? Have you ever had to really report on something negative about one of your teammates um, recently? 
no um nothing negative like i'll tell you i i could have the whole odell beckham's like fiasco for the national championship i was there and I, I have a story about Odell on the field that I could have released and footage, but I didn't. It didn't make sense to. I mean, the whole world is already, you know, throwing eggs at him. What's the difference of my one egg? Oh, you know, I don't, I just never want to be that guy. Right. But, you know, but that's the, that's the difference of, of the narrative. Like I, I, I want to, help the players be able to control the narrative. Okay, maybe Odell had a few too many drinks. Mm-hmm. Everybody has had a few too many drinks. <laughs> you know, that's not a story. The story is LSU just went undefeated and won a national championship. That's the story. You know, like, that's that's how I just felt about it. Yeah. Now, can you talk about the um, – what was it like to be, you know, go on air – during that time, the height, uh, a really, a, a really um, high point for your town. Can you talk about that? I'm going to say the, the vibes from this LSU's past season was, was unfelt. I've never felt anything like this in my life. Every week, the team, the city, the state just knew they and had faith they was going to win. And the way that they was winning, it was just crazy. Like, I, can, I, I can't even describe to you how Baton Rouge is when LSU is about to play on a Saturday night. It's crazy. The whole – they block off – say the game starts for 7 p.m. and ends at 10, 11 o'clock. You're not getting home till 1, 2 o'clock because of traffic. Wow. And that's leaving the stadium. There's 100,000 people that's inside the stadium that has tickets. But that's not the people who's going to still be on campus just tailgating throughout the game. Man. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's electrifying. And to culminate, that's why I, 20, 2020 started off pretty good with, for me with, this, with the national championship being in my hometown. And being able to be there to watch LSU, to watch some of these players that's from the same city as me, make it there, and it was electrifying. Like, <laughs> again, being in the Superdome when it's that packed. I've never been to a, a game. I've been to Saints playoff games. I've been to Sugar Bowls, everything else. And that national championship game, I swear, it was it – was, Shoulder to shoulder, walking to concession stands. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I was uh, I was locked into your uh, social media around that time because <laughs> you had some good stories from just that whole that whole um, the weeks and stuff leading up to it. See, and you'll understand. A lot of people, uh, 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 most won't. We I had to strike. Those mm. nights before and those days before we had those. So I'm setting up the equipment and then getting off and then going to report about the whole day that I didn't have. Mm. So you was doing two jobs essentially. At once. Yeah. Throughout that whole entire week. 
Yeah, it was it was wild, but I, I just felt like it was worth it. <laughs> Heck yeah, man. Um, I have to say, but you, your clothes didn't look like you had to do double duty because <laughs> you were still yeah. fresh. <laughs> man, I was I, what's crazy is that's why you have to be nice to everybody. See, what I did was I befriended the parking lot attendant. Uh-huh. And once I, I befriended her, she allowed me to start parking right by the compound. And I was able to change clothes right there. Boom, boom. Go inside, wash up, change clothes. Boom. And I'm gone. That's what's up. <laughs> you got to make a way sometimes. Yeah, you, you, you definitely do. Um, man. Now, um, we both members of the National Association of Black Journalists. Shout out to NAVJ. Uh, which, what was your first convention? New Orleans. Okay, which one? Uh, 17 or was it 12? 17. Okay. 17 New Orleans was my first one. Um, and I, I enjoyed it. Like, you know, I, I didn't know what to expect. So I kind of was everywhere. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I enjoyed it being in my hometown. But, you know, um, we linked up at the one in Miami. Right. That one, I, I definitely was going to rank higher than the one in New Orleans. Okay. <laughs> See, I have a hard time. So, all right. So they always say, you, you know, your first one, my first one was Orlando, 2013. And that one was just special because one, we got free tickets to Disney World. Wow. Uh, yeah. And, and you, you, they gave you the card and you could go any day like during that time and we didn't go till Saturday and I almost didn't go because I don't feel like it and I remember my friend shout out to my friend Brianna Hamilton she was like y'all we can go to Disney World for free when are you ever gonna get this chance and we went um and it was just a lot of stuff but you know like you said it's your first one so you're excited uh I didn't do DC in 16 I just went to the uh sports task force party so I went to the hotel because I was still working still knew my job so I went to the hotel met up with people then went to the party so uh New Orleans was like my second one um full conference and you know I I enjoy that, but you, yeah, Miami was, Miami was special. (laughs) (laughs) Man, the party at the arena was just like, I said, man, this is lavish. (laughs) (laughs) It definitely was. Um, Did you, did you go to the, um, the basketball game? Yes, I did. With Nate Robinson hitting the game, it was just NABJ Miami was just I will forever hold in my heart. Yeah, <laughs> the host hotel was beautiful. See, I ain't stay there. I stayed at the um. It was one around the corner. See, I stayed at the host hotel, and I'm gonna say it was beautiful. Now, if you did, they did have pressure censored. Jars of M and M's. That was true. If you removed it, you got charged fifteen dollars mm-hmm. for a jar of like fifteen M and M's. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I heard about it. Uh, but yeah, I think when I went to book, it was all sold out. 
And like I said, I'm you know a little disappointed that we're not uh, getting DC. What was um, overall though? Like out of all of them, I know you said Miami was your favorite, but do you have a particular favorite um, moment or favorite session from an NABJ? Uh, I'm gonna say the the session in in Miami where I got to go against Rob Parker of FS1 in a 60 second debate. I remember that. <laughs> I was there. <laughs> Yes, I'm gonna say going against Joy and going against Rob, like that. I'm gonna say that was surreal. I I definitely enjoyed that. Maybe NABJ need to set up some of those on a on a mass scale, because that was that was a great a great event. Yeah, I definitely would say um, it really. What I liked about it, they didn't just debate, but they also gave like a lesson after each one. So if you was in there you learn like, okay, this is the way you should attack the debate or this is how you do it. Like they, they really took time to teach you the art of it. Yeah. And, and that's the one thing I'm going to say about, about NABJ, you know, they, they, when they want to, I wouldn't say they, cause I mean, you know, individual panels, but when they, they set up these panels and you able to know, Pre, 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 beforehand, what's going to happen, and like they had the RSVP link in order to to make sure you're there, just like they had uh, Mark Spears and Ice Cube. Did you go to that one at uh, yep. at the movie theater? Mm-hmm. Just like setting that up, I, I I just love the fact that they have all these great hosts with all these great panels. Yeah, I agree, man. It was. Um... You know, and, that, and that's what I love about the organization. I know, you know, some people have their thoughts, um, whatever. <laughs> you know, overall, it, you, know, you can't go please everybody. I, I don't think, I think when you go there without the expectation of I'm going to land a job, as opposed to go down there and focus on networking and taking it as an approach of whatever happens, happens, it makes it easier. Now, granted, my first one, that's how I landed my job at ESPN, but I did put a lot of pressure on myself. And good Lord definitely looked out for me on that one. But I always tell people, like, you know, go down there, network, and enjoy. Because we have uh, – and granted, Twitter is a great resource that allows us to all keep in contact with each other. But it's always like the big family reunion, you know? Right. And I, I agree with you. Like, the first one in New Orleans, um, I didn't go on the – because I was still in school. So I didn't go with the the notion of – Going to get an internship. I'm going to get a job. I'm about to. I'm about to be on Good Morning America tomorrow. I went to meet people in, in the network, and I met. I'm, you know, ran into some good brothers, ran into some good sisters, network. Um, and now, I, uh, you know, I'm like you said. I'm mad this NABJ isn't happening. Now next year it's in Houston, if I'm not mistaken. And with all stay the same, everything goes well. You know that one there is going to be probably the biggest ever in history. So, you know, I'll be there. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and, um, it's, uh, just one of those things that it's, you, you hit it right on the head going there while you're in school. I always tell students it's, that's the best time to go because you can really go and network with people, build your connections while you're in college, and you just never know what comes out of that. Yeah, somebody always knows somebody. That's the rule that I live by. You know, you, 
I might not be able to help you or get you a job or to to better your your talents, but I might know somebody who can. And mm-hmm. if you live by that, you'll be okay. I think some people put that blockade up with meeting and networking because they think it's a one point of contact when most times it's going to be a two or three points of contact of somebody putting in that favor for you to get that said position. Exactly. So before I get you out of here, the title of the show is called Break It Through the Glass Ceiling. When was the moment that you broke through the glass ceiling in your career? I'm going to say the moment I broke through the glass ceiling would be when I set, when I changed majors from biology to mass communications and I made a resume and I took all the demos I did from class and I went to that station and I said, I'm going to get an internship or a job in the field somewhere this that summer. And it happened for me. And ever since then, every year, I've progressively gotten better in my career. I've progressively gotten better with my talents. And up until the last year, getting my own show that's broadcasted around Southern Louisiana. So, you know, I guess the ceiling, you know, is maybe still there. I'm still still breaking through. Uh, I have a lot of goals to reach, and I'm going to get there. Yeah, it's um, you know, man, it's amazing, you know, to see, especially a black host, you know, doing this thing on the radio, you know, and I think it's important that we celebrate each other. That's the thing, the reason why I love doing this show is to be able to hear your stories and be able to let the world hear your stories because you just never know who might listen and who might need some inspiration to figure out, okay how can I get to where I want to get to? You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Yeah. But well, before we get out of here, let the people know where they can follow you and where they can uh, keep in contact. You can follow me on all social sites, um, on YouTube, just search Norman Locke on Instagram. You can find me at Norm Locke underscore. And then on Twitter, you can find me at Locke underscore Norm. If you just Google my name, I'm, I'm bound to pop up. You heard him folks. It's Norm Lock, Norman Locke here in the building. Norman, appreciate you coming through, bro. I appreciate you, Mo. I appreciate everything you do with uh, with the NABJ and, again, with giving hope to these other young black journalists. Yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you enjoyed this episode. You learned a lot, especially from Norman, just learning the importance of having connections but also doing the work and being well balanced in not only the business of journalism but wherever you are next week i am going back to bristol technically but not i'm bringing on a guest who i work closely with at espn we shared a lot of stories on the basketball court together and like me he left also to do bigger and better things and that is my bro Cassius Fleming Cassius is now uh, associate producer for Spotify 
So he comes on to talk ESPN. We reminisce like we did last week with DeRai and I. And he also discusses his stop at CBS Sports and now at Spotify. So, folks, remember, do not let anybody set up a glass ceiling you can't break through. And always remember that black lives matter. This podcast was recorded and edited by B Waters Productions. The music by Hypno Beats. Make sure you follow him at Hypno 